Hello, and welcome to the OCR Exams podcast, where we'll be chatting with a range of guest speakers from the world of education. My name's Anthony. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast. Here at OCR, we're committed to supporting teachers and exams officers at every step of their journey with us. We're also here to help our students to reach their full potential, and some of our podcasts will feature tips and advice on revising, preparing for exams, and managing mental health. Please remember to like, comment on, and subscribe to our podcast on whichever platform you're using, and be sure to follow our other social media channels. We're on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Instagram. Just search for OCR exams. You can also find a range of subject-specific blogs on our website, ocr.org.uk forward slash blog. So let's get started with today's episode. Okay, welcome everyone. Um, welcome to this LGBT plus History Month podcast. Uh, we're looking at making school more inclusive for trans and non-binary students. So February sees the return of LGBT plus History Month. And this year, the theme is celebrating LGBT plus people's contributions to medicine and healthcare, both historically and of course today. You can discover more on on the History Month using the hashtag under the scope. However, what we've got to remember, of course, is this month is always a time to recognise and honour the lives of LGBT plus individuals. It's an opportunity to educate, to raise awareness and, of course, promote equality for the LGBTQ plus community. It's also a time for organisations and schools to come together to organise events, discussions and activities that promote inclusion and understanding. So today's podcast will aim to discuss how teachers and educators can best support trans and non-binary students and importantly how this can lead to longer term benefits for mental health among young people. Podcast will also help to introduce a little bit the new OCR A-level course, which is coming very soon, which will now include this area of identity for the first time. So in today's podcast, I'm joined by Jack Lynch, who is the workshops and training lead for Pop and Ollie, the UK's leading provider of LGBT plus educational resources for primary age children, parents, carers and teachers. Jack and I first met when OCR was sponsoring the Free and Equal Conference last winter, uh, when they gave an excellent presentation sharing their journey of understanding their identity. So, Jack. Hello. Can you, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. It's lovely good. to be on your podcast. Thank you for inviting me. It's very good to have you. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Sure. Um so, Jack, yeah, can you start by kind of talking a little bit about what Pop and Ollie does, if that's OK? Yeah, of course. Um, so, uh, as you've just said there, Pop and Ollie is a leading, uh, UK's leading provider of LGBT plus educational resources uh, for primary age children, parents, carers and teachers. Uh, so we've distributed over 30,000 of our LGBTQ plus inclusive children's books worldwide, uh, and 10,000 of those have been donated to UK primary schools um, through our Pride in Primary campaign. 
um, which aims to get more uh, LGBT plus representative uh, literature into uh, primary schools across the UK to help combat LGBT plus prejudice. Um, millions of people have engaged with Papa Nolly's inclusive YouTube videos, which are all out there on our YouTube channel, um, our LGBT plus storybooks, our classroom resources, our teacher training that we offer, as well as our school workshop programs, um, and all of which to help combat LGBT plus prejudice. I guess if I kind of sum it up into one mission statement it's that we are all about sparking joy and eradicating shame but also empowering children teachers parents and carers through lgbt plus inclusive education and storytelling like mm. at the end of the day pop and Ali's work exists to save lives and i know that sounds a bit dramatic but it's true and we'll mm. come on to why that is a bit later yeah. um, but it's really about ensuring that lgbtq plus people make it to adulthood no child should experience the shame and secrecy and isolation that so many lgbtq plus adults have felt growing up and with LGBT plus hate crime at ever increasing levels in the UK and LGBT plus bullying being one of the most common forms of bullying in the UK, we want a future where LGBTQ plus adults have a fair opportunity at life. We want them to feel inspired. We want them to feel mm. powerful. And most of all, we want them to feel safe. Mm. Uh, like our first of a kind non-fiction book and this is really a game-changing book for schools called what does lgbt plus mean um helps primary age children discover and i say it helps primary age children it helps primary age children but we've had so much feedback from adults and older children as well going this has been so helpful for us but it helps them discover more about identity gender sexual orientation privilege allyship a lot of the topics which are associated with lgbt plus uh, there are over 5,000 of these um, in homes and schools across the uk and our corresponding youtube series has gained over 200,000 views i think it is and that's growing daily like these resources and uh, kind of our training and everything that we do is really about sparking joy about being LGBT plus and really helping schools and colleges become the most welcoming and inclusive environments for mm -hmm. not just LGBTQ plus students, but all students. Absolutely. I think there's lots of people of lots of different ages who could uh, who could do with looking at some of these resources, I would say. Um, but as you mentioned, like, you know, the organisation's focus is, is predominantly primary level. Um, yeah. Can you kind of tell me a little bit more? I know you've touched on it, but can you tell me a little bit more about what LGBT plus education kind of looks like at a primary level? And I think even more importantly for me, why why is it so important to start at this age rather than a little bit older? Sure. Let me answer those questions a bit flipped. So the a second one first and the first one second. Yeah, fine. <laughs> um, so <laughs> we know that we are not born prejudiced. This is a learned behaviour. Mm -hmm. So that means that we know that LGBT plus prejudice comes from children's environment and specifically how their kind of key adults in their life talk about and behave around LGBT plus people and topics. So the idea of in and out groups, which is kind of wild, widely discussed in child development, um, is that we know that children's kind of grouping of different people comes from how adults around them behave and act. So we know that stereotypes about gender particularly are at the root of LGBT plus prejudice and bullying. Um, and so if we can create school environments that demonstrate positive attitudes towards difference and an inclusive culture, 
we can dismantle this idea of in and out groups and develop positive attitudes towards difference. So in short, providing positive representation of LGBT plus people, and in fact, all sorts of diverse people can combat prejudice before it can begin to form. And that's what we're talking about really when we're talking about primary LGBT plus education. So like we know that across schools, 91% of children have heard negative language about being LGBT plus, and 48% of pupils have never had positive messaging about being LGBT plus. And I'll caveat this next statistic with a bit of a trigger warning in terms of suicide and self-harm, that 74% of those children have heartbreakingly contemplated suicide or self-harm, and that a lack of positive representation leads to LGBT plus young people being twice as likely to have depression, anxiety, panic attacks, but also feeling lonely and worrying about their mental health. Like I am one of those statistics, and I know so many young people that sadly also struggling with the same. So we know this is important. We know why from these statistics it's so important because this is not just about primary school children. This is about young people growing up and how they feel about their own identity. So Papanoli is really here to show how simple it is to show positive representation. It starts with simple things like talking about diverse families with the youngest children and kind of showing them all types of different families, but that all families are different. You know, yours and our, my family is different. Um, and the, and the families are defined really by love and care. They're not defined by the people who are in them. And that's such an important message for children. Um, we can start to work on dismantling gender stereotypes in primary school and showing children simple things like, it's okay to do any job or play with any toys or, wear any clothes. Um, and with the older children, then we can talk about what LGBT plus means in terms of the acronym and start to explore that in more detail. But it's really about combating prejudice before it can begin to form. So it's taking consistent steps to show children that there are many different ways to be human and that all of those are valid and they can all be celebrated. Yeah, excellent. There's some excellent sociological studies actually that we we have in our spec on gendered toys and how that leads uh, certain groups of people to pick subjects and obviously get into careers and things like that. So yeah, like we absolutely can't separate gender entirely from social roles. Like they are very much interlinked. Uh, whether they should be is another conversation, but like we, we, we do have to understand that there is a link there. And so really with primary age children, and to, and to be fair with LGBT plus representation across the board, this is showing that, you know, one part of your identity does not define other parts of your identity. Um, and that's such an important message, you know, from young children, but also to adults, you know, we, we have to understand here that, you know, section 28, which effectively bans the teaching of LGBT plus people in schools has a huge legacy. Um, and in terms of a huge legacy of silence around being LGBT plus and therefore a huge legacy of shame around people being LGBT plus and a huge legacy of telling people that you can't be different and you can't be feminine if you're a boy and you can't be masculine if you're a girl and God forbid if you're neither. 
Um, so, <laughs> you know, this is really important, this conversation that we're having mm. in this specification that, you know, we are tackling not just these stereotypes, but we're tackling where they've come from. We're tackling Section 28 and the legacy of it in the process. Mm. Great. Yeah. And and so obviously February, as I said, is LGBT plus history month. Um, how important do you think it is to, to kind of talk about LGBT plus lives beyond just this month? Because, you know, coming from teaching um, centres, I know, do celebrate and um, put on events and things like that because it's February. But, you know, yeah. how important do we need, you know, is it that we kind of move away from just the month, I suppose? I think it's incredibly important. You know, LGBT plus lives don't just exist in two months across the year. You know, we're here all the time. So if we're talking about creating uh, a welcoming and inclusive environments for trans and non-binary children, but all children, we've got to be talking about diversity across the board, right? At the end of the day, we stand on the shoulders who came before us, right? And that means I'm not only going to sit here talking to you as a proud non-binary person, talking to you about the work I do because of LGBT plus people that came before me. That's the only reason I can sit here. Uh, we teach children about history, right? And if we're teaching children about history, it's important we teach about the diversity of our history. I believe that teaching about the history of minority groups, LGBT plus people just being one of those, shows children that we all have power in our own voice. It shows young people of any age that we have power in our own voice, that we have the power to make a positive change and a positive impact on this world. Look at the, the situations in history, uh, in LGBT plus history and in other minority history where we have spoken up, where we have uh, protested and spoken up against injustice. And it shows that by embracing our differences, and creating a more diverse and thriving society by doing that, we broaden the future for anyone that comes after us and for future generations. Yeah, so um, we are, as I've mentioned, kind of on at the midst of redeveloping our course. Um, we are including non-binary and trans identities, um, so we will be the first A-level to include this um, in, in any specification. You have, of course, looked at the new specification. Um, what are your kind of thoughts and, you know, what more work have we got to do to maybe diversify the curriculum in the future a little bit more when it comes to kind of the government saying A-levels do need to reform? Sure. I think... Okay, so firstly, the work you're doing is brilliant in terms of including these topics in the specification. And I'm like, this is awesome that we're having this conversation and that you as OCR are doing this work. And I think this is something that, you know, really does need to be brought out across the board. Um, like the biggest support for LGBT plus students, and in fact, the biggest for support for all students' well-being is representation. So showing that LGBT plus people exist and that their lives are valid and celebrated, just like everyone else, like that's at the root of what we're doing here with this specification. Um, and it's going to be game changing for so many young people to see that. But secondly, this is about understanding the inherent binary gendering in the curriculum as it stands um, and as a trans and non-binary person there are so many times when I felt excluded from teaching materials that discuss only men and women and discuss these genders as binary and never 
discussing gender nonconformity and trans people. Um, so even when discussing gender identity, which I know is part of the spec, let's use that opportunity to discuss the diversity of gender and the intersection mm. it has with these kind of stereotypical social roles that we were talking about earlier. Like we know that many young people who are LGBT plus or who have LGBT plus people that they are close to um, is the majority is like a lot of young people that are going to be sitting in these rooms learning this specification so let's allow these students to discuss their experience of their own gender and of the gender of people around them rather than telling them what gender is mm -hmm. so this generation of young people are so inclusive in so many ways like way more inclusive than when i was at school um going into talking to young people now and so it's very much an opportunity for everyone to learn from each other so like I know that we've discussed before that teachers are sometimes hesitant or nervous to teach about LGBT topics, in particularly gender, mm -hmm. because of this fear of saying something wrong or not knowing enough. And I guess my advice in that is we all get things wrong and that's okay. This is an opportunity to, yeah, upskill yourself, absolutely, but also create an environment where students and teachers can learn from each other about this stuff and learn that these things come together the specifications are great in, and the supporting materials are fantastic in terms of guiding you as an educator about how to teach this stuff but also don't be afraid to be wrong like we're all learning here and it's nothing to be ashamed or fearful of um, so this is very much a developing process in terms of including this in the specification and should be seen as such. Um, this is about, you know, diversifying that spec to include the people who are learning about it, include the diversity of your students. So understanding their experience rather than telling them what gender is right out and telling them what these things are is so important, especially when we're talking about A-level specifications, is allowing for that, that learning all round and also critical thinking. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, great. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we've touched on mental health a little bit. I, just want to kind of draw everyone's attention a bit to um, some research that's, that's come out recently. Um, so four in 10 teenagers recently told the Mental Health Foundation that images on the social media had caused them to worry about their body image. Yesterday, we had uh, Safer Internet Day. Um, I just wonder, have you got any advice that you'd give young people from the LGBT plus group if they're, if they're particularly worrying about their body image? So, okay, so from a professional standpoint, I'm by no means an expert in this area, and certainly, like, I'm not in a place to give any advice on that perspective. But in terms of tying this into diversity and showing that diversity in your college or your school environment, like, for educators and for every, any anyone involved in those communities, we can't change what we see on what young people see on social media but we can change the spaces that we are in and mm -hmm. showcase different types of bodies and show that positive representation about body shape and the fact that body shape doesn't define your worth or your value uh, this is a case for me of controlling what you can control and what you can control is making sure that your school is welcoming and inclusive for all people of all sizes um, and all differences. And I know we're going to talk a, a little bit probably about my experience in a little bit, but and maybe that will help in terms of some 
of mm. advice specifically specifically to LGBT plus people. But yeah, for in terms of what we can do in our schools, this is really a key in terms of look at these statistics. You can't control what they see on social media, but you can control the environments in which you create in your schools. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would just add, you know, if you if anyone listening does want a bit of help with um, some strategies to kind of hopefully try and help to make sure young people you know uh, are keeping as safe as possible on the internet although I'm not entirely sure that's always possible but um, there is a great website for for people to look at which is www.saferinternet.org.uk some good strategies on there to try and keep those young people as safe as possible I would say okay so yes you mentioned we touched on your own experiences I mean would you feel comfortable kind of sharing a little bit about yeah, your well. own experiences of school that's great um obviously as an LGBT plus person um with us and and maybe the impacts that that it had on your mental health yeah for sure um uh, this is something that I talk about uh in all generally all of my school workshops um so I think it's really important that you know when we can and when we feel comfortable to LGBT plus people can share their stories to try and help navigate a very scary world sometimes for LGBT plus young people. So yeah, I grew up in South London. Uh, I was really lucky enough to have uh, supportive parents who just allowed me to be me really. Um, like I wore dresses and high heels and makeup and necklaces, basically anything that I could steal from my mum's closet. Um, <laughs> I felt really comfortable just being flamboyant and dramatic and it just felt like me really. Mm. But I guess when I started school, so around the ages of kind of four and five, it really quickly became clear that being a boy in quotes came with a certain rule book and a rule book that certainly didn't include my massive femme energy. Like I remember <laughs> realizing that I stood out and that made me feel extremely vulnerable. So safety meant blending in and safety for a boy, according to that rule book meant being masculine. Mm. So I decided to essentially fix myself. Um, and I thought, right, if I can put on a good enough act and if I do this well enough, maybe I'll fit in and maybe I'll be accepted. So I got rid of the flamboyant hand gestures and I stopped wearing dresses and heels at home and wore jeans and T-shirts instead, what I was shown that boys should wear. Mm. Um, looking back, I tried to act like the boys I saw represented around me, like masculine supporting football sporty brainy like I was playing a character in my own life mm. because playing myself didn't feel acceptable to others I came out as gay at university and that allowed me to I guess loosen the act a little bit but <laughs> despite this I struggled to still fit into the stereotypical subcategories that we have in the queer community uh, and especially in the gay community. Like I wasn't femme enough, uh, masculine enough. I wasn't quite butch enough. Like I was too sporty to be gay, but not sporty enough to be that type of gay. Like it felt so confusing to try and navigate all of these very labeled subcategories and after uni, like, I think I lasted about five years before I had a mental breakdown. And my act was literally totally unraveling in the realization that for such a long time, 
I'd been suppressing me, the real me. And the result was long term and crippling depression. Like at points, I was having suicidal thoughts every day um, and had major social anxiety, was feeling incredibly lonely. Um, and I realized that I'd been having a lot of these feelings at school and throughout my schooling but just hadn't been able to label them Mm. um and it was only through counseling that I started to open up for the first time um and finally got back in touch with that little me that I'd been running from all these years um in 2021 I came out as transgender and non-binary um And a year previously, I'd started working with Papanoli kind of on a volunteer basis. Um, But as my confidence grew, so did my responsibilities with the company. And I came fully on board with the company. And that's kind of how I found myself in the position I am today. Mm. Like, this was a... It's easy to disassociate those two experiences in a way. Because for 20 years, I played someone that wasn't me. And it's only in the last five years that I've really started to understand me again. And it feels like living my true life, but also a life that I never had the experiences that a lot of other queer kids, uh, that a lot of other children growing up have. Mm. And so it's almost like a brand new chapter, which is really exciting, but really sad that You've lost that time almost. Yeah, I've lost that time. Like I wasn't given that opportunity Mm. to grow up and have those experiences Mm. because I was so hell-bent on not allowing other people to see me and therefore expose myself and feel so vulnerable. Mm. Like I'm just, I honestly just think I'm so lucky to have lived long enough to turn my experiences into something that is life-changing for young people mm. with the workshops that I deliver and the, the work that I deliver with Papanoli. Like never in my wildest dreams did I think that anyone would even care about my story, let alone find it in any way expiring, inspiring. Like I spent 20 years acting the role of the boy I thought I had to be in order to be safe and to fit in. And I can't imagine how differently my life would have been if I had seen role models like me, if I had had the language available to me to describe who I was and the role models to show me that being myself was okay. Mm. And hopefully now I can be that role model for young people and I can be that role model for the children that I talk to. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's just... I don't quite know how I got here, but I'm glad <laughs> I did. Yeah. I hope that this leaves a legacy of inclusiveness and joy behind rather mm. than the shame and the pain that I felt for so long. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, what what can schools and colleges do realistically to kind of empower students who identify as LGBT plus or, or perhaps mm. even people just coming out or thinking about coming out? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that last point that you made there is really important that mm. you know, we can't just talk about 
LGBT plus people in terms of the children that are out as LGBT plus in these environments and young people that are out as LGBT plus because mm. you know a lot of people come out as LGBT plus much later in life and so it's really about broadening the horizons of everyone whether they come out as LGBT plus at all or not um, you know this is about supporting everyone equally mm. and so I know I'm prone to chat, so I'm going to stick to streaming. <laughs> like there is a lot of information out there on how to support students, and I don't want to kind of like, like just babble and then not really say anything. So yeah, I'm try and be as helpful as possible. So three <laughs> things. Okay, so I guess the first thing is visible allyship. So you know that you are inclusive. You know that as a teacher you are inclusive, that as an educator you are inclusive. But how do other people know? And so I'm not just like talking about students, how do students know? I'm talking about visitors to your environment. I'm talking about prospective students and parents and other staff. So things like having a rainbow lanyard that I often see in schools or like mm -hmm. inclusive pin badges or even like a little sticker in your classroom door or on your whiteboard. Is it smart boards now? I don't know what we use now. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah. um, but, and also like website mentions, like how can I see mm -hmm. from going on your website as a protective student that you are inclusive for me, that you support me as a person and that I can feel safe being at your college or your school. So these things are very small in terms of the actual action that you take, but the impact is massive. And I often say that, you know, if I have a little rainbow pin badge, for example, most children won't even notice. But the children and the young people that need to see it, it yeah. will be life changing. Mm, so absolutely. That's, I guess the first one in terms of visible allyship. The second one is policies. So most colleges and schools will have an equality policy and an anti-bullying policy. So taking a look at these and reading and read them, try and put yourself in the shoes of a trans or non-binary person or an LGBT person in general. Like, do they include specific wording that protects you? Do they include a specific statement about LGBT plus bullying? Like, do they have a policy on how to deal with transphobia, biphobia, homophobia? Mm. Also, is there a statement in your inclusion and equality policy that specifically mentions being inclusive of people of all genders and sexual orientation? That's mm. one that I often look for. Um, but often when talking to young people and queer teachers, I hear that schools and colleges on the face of it say, yeah, we're inclusive. We really support this, but then don't have the policies to back this up when something happens. And it means that those pupils and staff that I talk to end up feeling so incredibly unsupported and let down. So making sure that you are actually backing up what you're saying and your thought process in your policies is absolutely essential to making sure that you are, as an environment, inclusive from the get-go. And then I guess the last thing, and we spoke about this a little bit earlier, is unnecessary gendering. So look at the language you use. Like, do you assume a person's gender based on their appearance? When a student stands in front of you, do you look at how they look and assume if they're a boy or a girl without telling them or, or without them telling you or without you asking. Do you gender groups as boys or girls or men and women when talking? Like look at how you can change some of this language to be inclusive, not just of trans and non-binary people, but also showing that gender doesn't define your social role like we talked about and what you can do. So I'm talking here about reinforcing gender stereotypes like boys are strong and girls are sensible um but also 
consider things like toilets, for example. So a lot of people don't know this, and I've had this feedback from trans and non-binary students, but also I've had this feedback from parents of those students, um, more worryingly, um, that trans and non-binary students often restrict their eating and drinking in school and college because so that they don't have to go to the bathroom basically like this is an incredibly stressful That's experience yeah. for trans and non-binary children and if we're talking about creating equal learning environments like how are you possibly creating equal learning environments <laughs> if students are too stressed to go to the toilet um and therefore are dehydrating themselves and not eating enough. Like mm. you're then having students who can't concentrate, who maybe aren't able to uh, remember so much. And then even worse then when you have that in the classroom and those students then get punished for doing those things, it's like you're just creating a cycle. So a lot of the things that inclusive schools and colleges are now doing is things like just simple creating a gender neutral toilet. Like I'm not saying let's get rid of men and female bathrooms I'm just mm. saying like, have a gender neutral option something as simple as uh, adding gender neutral onto your disabled toilet so that children who don't feel comfortable going into gender bathrooms have gender neutral options yeah. um, and then physically grouping students so in a lot of circumstances in schools we physically group students whether that be lining up for lunch whether that be you know in, in, for me when I was at school that was every time we had a fire drill we then lined up in the playground based on gender yep. our class and it was like oh, why? Wow. why based on it? gender yeah like why oh, we like boys line up here, girls line up here and I'm just like why are we doing this there's no yeah here. bizarre yeah um, in a lot of PE like we're doing this mm. and, and I'm not talking about that certainly still you know, happens when we're playing rugby and stuff like that I, I mean I am talking about when we're playing rugby and why girls we <laughs> talk about that but also in terms of like what does that do to trans and non-binary students where do I go now when you physically group um kids based on gender and mm. those genders are not inclusive what do I do I'm just the the marker that stands out here going well where am I going to go and do you know what a lot of the time those trans and non-binary students they go to where they feel like they're socially expected to go mm. rather than where they actually should go mm. yeah and so creating these options and diversifying your language and diversifying your spaces this avoiding unnecessary gendering is something that is very small very simple but creates a huge impact and that's at the key thing right so mm. I say this all the time that LGBT plus inclusion isn't about massive changes straight away it's about small consistent actions over time that create large positive change yeah Okay, now a little bit more, just a little bit more advice, um, moving kind of into the last question. I know you use they, them pronouns. Yeah. Do you have any advice for teachers and students around the difference it actually makes to young people when you get those correct pronouns being used? Yes, I absolutely do. And give me two seconds because I want to get the actual stat for you. So that mm, I yeah, fine. wrote this rightly. Um, because there is, like, so if we, I'm going to lead people to uh, the two Just Like Us reports. Uh, so Just Like Us is um, an LGBT plus young person's charity, um, and they do a lot of research on mental health uh, in young people, uh, and particularly in education. Um, and there's really, really positive statistics here um, that is specifically about pronoun use. Mm. Um, 
so using someone's correct pronoun and name at school, work and at home results in 71% fewer symptoms of depression. Like wow. that is massive. Mm. When we're talking about that stat of the amount of students who are depressed, anxious, um, let alone suicidal, mm. like just a simple act of using someone's correct name and pronouns, of validating who they are as a person and not asking them to not by not respecting their names and pronouns you're effectively saying to them you're a fake mm. I don't believe you and so by validating their identity you are creating significant impact on their mental health like of all students mm. doing this so I think like it's it's a basic human act right is to be empathetic towards other people and so if somebody is saying i use these pronouns we don't need to question that we don't need to ask them a load of questions to explain why they're doing that just use those pronouns just use the name that they've told you mm. yeah so the, they're really simple acts but they have a massive effect mm. it's, I mean, it's definitely something i used to really try and do when I was still in teaching and of course, you know, probably got it wrong sometimes. Um, but but the, the appreciation you get, you know, yeah. when when you are making that effort. And of course, you know, if you're if you're a teacher and you're trying to get a student to, you know, work hard, do what you're asking them to do and ultimately do well in their exams, then, you know, it, sh surely you would uh, you'd always be considering these sort of things. On that point of getting it wrong, it's so important to say that huh, we all get it wrong. Guess what? Trans <laughs> people get other trans people's pronouns wrong as well. Like mm. it's not just it's not just non-LGBT plus people. Yeah. So mm. like you get it wrong, that's fine. The most important action, if you get it wrong, is how you react to getting it wrong. Yeah. So and the way you react to getting it wrong is really simple. You go, oh, sorry. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And if the other person corrects don't you, don't pretend it hasn't happened. I think yeah. as well. And yeah. Go, and if the other person corrects you and they go, "Oh no, sorry, actually, I use they them pronouns," you go, mm. "Oh, I'm really sorry. Uh, I'm trying my best. Sorry, um, mm. and I will do that next time." So you know, using just <laughs> basic human decency um, towards these things and understanding that it's absolutely okay to get it wrong, um, but also that the the impact of you using someone's correct pronouns and names makes an enormous difference. Mm. And obviously like, you know, teachers should be encouraging all students in their class and their, of course, their colleagues to use kind of these inclusive terms, the pronouns, um, you know, how, how could they, how can they do that in and out of the classroom? How can, how can teachers make sure, you know, there is that environment where everyone is, you know attempting and really making an effort to do that do you think so i think it's important to say that um let's bring in a little bit of legislation here okay so that mm. um we're not just talking about this is what uh is good practice in terms of trans and non-binary students this is part of the equality act any child that identifies mm. as uh trans or non-binary is protected under the equality act and therefore actually not using their correct <laughs> name and pronouns and refusing to do that is actually outward discrimination mm -hmm. which is against law so let's mm -hmm. put that down as a starter okay <laughs> um but the other thing to say is that in terms of how you do this across the board is you make sure that things like uh the register 
the attendance register is updated with their correct name. Mm -hmm. You make sure that you are creating environments where they don't feel like they're having to choose male or female categories. Um, you make sure that you are correcting other staff if you hear them say it wrong or correcting students and creating environments where you are understanding and supporting the needs of that trans child, making sure that they have a space to come to if they feel like they need to talk. Like I have a little sticker on my little book and I have one on my laptop and it says, uh, you can be yourself with me. Like something as simple mm. as that, if I mm. see that on a teacher's planner or as a little pin badge, like that's such a signal to me that that's a safe space for me. And it's such a signal to me that they will understand and listen. Like, I'm not saying that you have to be an expert in the topic. I'm not saying that you have to know every answer. But what I am saying is that you need to be open and you need mm. to be understanding that everybody is different and that what a person tells you is their name and their pronouns is what is their name and their pronouns. Jack, I could I could talk to you all day, but um, <laughs> unfortunately, that's that's probably going to be uh, it for today. I mean, thank you so much for your time uh, and for joining me on the podcast. Uh, what a fabulous and empowering speaker you are, and um, I don't think there's any doubt that um, people will be inspired by listening to this. So yeah, huge thanks. Um, yeah. Thank you for having me on. Not a problem. Yeah. So listeners, anyone listening can discover more about the important work Pop and Ollie does at popandolly.com. And to all our listeners, I really hope um, you found the podcast interesting. Please do like, subscribe and comment on our episode on whichever streaming channel you use. And also remember to head over to our website, which is ocr.org.uk, to discover more about our support and resources for all teachers and students. Thank you very much.